Politics are so complex, so convoluted, you can't tell the players without a scorecard. Here's the question of the age. Is it more worrisome that Joe Biden has caches of confidential documents locked up in his garage or that he has access to the keys to a Corvette? These and other questions answered by your doctor of truth, Dan Newman. Dr. Dan. I guess I'll take that title for the day. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to... The day after, the day after what? The day after Trump indictment syndrome just launched, headed to the moon. (laughs) If you uh, didn't see it, if you did not see that that, uh, arraignment hearing, I couldn't, couldn't think of where it was, music in the background, you know, music does that to me. Anyway, if you missed it, you missed a, Great three-ring circus. And listen, folks, we're going to dig into some really, really big things today. We're going to. Some ironies, some not-so-ironical things, but we are going to begin our quest for full disclosure, full exposure to the left and what this is really all about. I, I don't even need to go there. You already know what it's about. It's about making sure Donald Trump doesn't move back into 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. And the left are so committed. They're all in, 100%. We got to keep him out of the White House. We can't let him get back in there. Look what he did to us before. He made those Americans realize that there could be a politician that did what they promised to do while campaigning, when and if they got elected. Donald Trump. No credible person can argue Donald Trump made America better during his four years than it was the previous eight and the current one half of four under President Joe Biden across the board. No credible comparison says anything other than that. You can pull statistics out of the sky, out of your wazoo, whatever. You could pull them all out, and I welcome them. Oh, by the way, in case you didn't know it, you can call this show anytime live and take me on. Ask me questions. Insult me. I got to be honest with you. You can say anything to me. It won't insult me. I might laugh at you, but of course, that's my right as the show host, but it's also your right to change channels. I'm not being abrasive, folks. I just want you to understand this show, TNN Live, And our website, truthnewsnet.org, those are 100% diversity expression places for everybody to go to. You can read, you can learn from other people, you can read and ask your own questions, or you can just sit there and nod your head or shake your head. Your choice of either, you're not going to offend me in any way. Folks who know me know that sometimes I can be a bit, uh, not controversial, um, in your face. And I never do it in malice. I'm an emotional person. And often I show my emotions. I have the dignity of a 69-year-old, about to turn 70-year-old man, but I'm a fact person. Give me the facts. Show me 
the facts you're giving me are actually facts. And let's just move forward. What a novel idea. Seems like there have been a few people smarter than me that came up with that many, many, many years ago. Many years ago, way before me. So we have a lot to speak to you about today. Some of it has to do with what happened at the courthouse yesterday in New York City. Other things have to do with, believe it or not, other things happening on planet Earth and even in your own United States of America while all of our attentions were focused on that drive down the FDR. I've done it many times. The good thing about what we saw yesterday, at least for the Trump folks, the traffic was blocked. The FDR can be a circus during traffic times in New York. We saw a lot. We learned a lot yesterday. And there are still a lot of questions. And I want to start with this one thought. We keep hearing people on the left. Nancy Pelosi is infamous for saying this all the time. And you know probably exactly where I'm going when I said that about Nancy Pelosi saying something all the time. No one is above the law. No one is above the law. Lock Donald Trump up. Let me just say this. Lock him up or don't lock him up. But stop telling me that no one is above the law. It's one of the most ludicrous fantasies being peddled by the left. And they that's their fallback card. Whenever they have no substance to share with us on any particular issue. Oh, nobody's above the law. Plenty of people are above the law. You want some examples? I'll give you some specifics. James Clapper, remember him? He was the head of, uh, I don't know what, the DNI, one of those intelligence committees and organizations. James Clapper, he lied under oath to Congress, specifically about spying on the American people. He's above the law. John Brennan. Big John lied about a domestic spying operation on Senate staffers. He's above the law. Unlike Trump advisor Peter Navarro, Obama's attorney general, remember him, Eric Holder, he was never going to be handcuffed and thrown in prison for ignoring a congressional subpoena. Eric Holder's above the law. And who can forget Trump's 2016 opponent, Hillary Clinton? She's still above the law. The then Secretary of State set up a private server in her home, and she did it to circumvent transparency surrounding her slush fund foundation. Nobody that knows anything about the uh, the, uh, Clinton Foundation can say credibly it is not a slush fund foundation. Ask those people in Haiti about that. And then she sent 110 emails that contained marked classified information, 110 of them. 36 of those emails contain secret information. Eight of the email chains contained top secret information. Every one of those instances was a potential felony punishable with up to 10 years in jail. Hillary, she's above the law. And we learned all of this about her from James Comey, then FBI director, who noted that Hillary had been extremely careless 
when she was conducting her business. Comey didn't recommend charges because he claimed the state couldn't prove Clinton's intent, even though intent is not part of the law. James Comey, former FBI director, attorney, he knew that. The law says gross negligence, not intent, is the only standard that Comey needed to bring charges against Hillary. Gross negligence and extreme carelessness are synonyms. Comey concocted a new standard, and he did it to protect Clinton because she's above the law. And then there was Hillary's buddy, her husband, also above the law. He perjured himself under oath. Democrats argued that puritanical conservatives were only chasing Bill because of some trumped-up charge over sex. You can use that logic, but if you do, spread it out evenly. Trump's campaign finance charges related to Stormy Daniels' hush money. Those are also about sex. Oh, by the way, the difference is Stormy wrote a letter verifying that she and Donald Trump had never had sex together. But this is different. Oh, my gosh, this is different because the orange man, Trump, is really the boogeyman, and everybody knows he's guilty of something. We just got to find it and pin it on him, make it stick. Don't worry, though. Former House Speaker Nancy Pelosi says this, Everyone has the right to a trial to prove their innocence. Of course, by everybody, she means Republicans. And if you think this authoritarian formulation is just an accident, you hadn't been paying much attention. When Democrats were smearing Brett Kavanaugh, remember that? As a gang rapist a few years back, that actually happened. Brett Kavanaugh. Maisie Hirano, I'll never forget her, from Hawaii. She was asked whether the then-nominee, Kavanaugh, deserved the same presumption of innocence as anyone else in the nation. Now, remember where this comes from, that Constitution thing. You know, everybody has the presumption of innocence. After all, this Kavanaugh thing wasn't about any judicial disagreement, but it was about alleged criminal behavior. And so when asked specifically, shouldn't Kavanaugh have that same presumption of innocence, Maisie Hirano responded, I put his denial in the context of everything that I know about him in terms of how he approaches his cases. In other words, this is the unspoken truth that everybody knows. If you're a conservative, your politics are evil. And if your politics are evil, you're evil. I imagine that would be the rationalization used by Kamala Harris when reading obvious fabrications about Kavanaugh into the congressional record. Remember that? You do remember when Kamala Harris served on the Judiciary Committee in the Senate. Merrick Garland. Kamala Harris, Lois Lerner, remember her? Above the law. Both her and Merrick Garland were above the law when they weaponized government agencies against their political opponents. 
It's almost surely the rationalization of Alvin Bragg. This is what justifies the contemporary left's increasing comfort. They don't even think about it. It's an afterthought now when they deploy the state to punish and destroy their political enemies. For many liberals, the legal system isn't merely a tool for criminal justice, if that, but it's a way to exact poetic political justice. And they hold all the cards, the trump cards, pun intended. It should probably be mentioned here that Alvin Bragg promised, he promised publicly, he campaigned on it to use the DA's office to enact social justice, not any kind of impartial or neutral justice. He said that again and again. I'm going to use the DA's office, my influence, to enact social justice and get Donald Trump. People who don't pay for public transportation, those who trespass, those who resist arrest, those who obstruct governmental administration, or those involved in prostitution are beating people senseless. Those people in New York City are all above the law. Despite there being perfectly sound political arguments against Trump, and there are, we have been on a historical journey that's taken us from accusing Trump of being a seditious actor, working on the orders of an antagonistic foreign government, Russia, Russia, Russia. The most successful conspiracy theory ever spun in American politics. Hillary Clinton paid for that whole thing, made it up. I guess she and the DNC wrote matching checks to pay for it. Nothing ever happened to any of them. After all, they're above the law. giving a porn star hush money. No question, that was immoral. But it wasn't illegal. You remember that famous Democrat from North Carolina? Remember he was going to run as vice president? I forget which guy it was. I think John Kerry, when Kerry ran for president. Edwards was going to run. He paid hush money. The Supreme Court said it was legal. But if you're a conservative, ooh, different set of standards. If you're a Democrat, like John Edwards, above the law. Everybody knows, of course, what's going to happen when or if Republicans return the favor. You know that quid pro quo thing? Cries of fascism. That's what they always say. When Harry Reid blew up the judicial filibuster, it was okay He needed to to preserve the republic. When Republicans use that very precedent for themselves, they're power-hungry, partisan fascists. When Democrats throw congressmen off subcommittees, they do that. It's justifiable. We're protecting our democracy. When Republicans follow suit, bigots. When a Republican governor retaliates against Disney, for involving itself in educational issues. It's 1933 all over again, and if you don't know what that was, that was Adolf Hitler writing Monkoff, getting out of prison, and starting the Nazi party in Germany. That's what 
Ron DeSantis is doing in Florida, according to Disney and Democrats. But when a Democrat governor punishes companies like Walgreens for their stand on abortion drugs, that's a blow against justice. I could go on and on all morning long and give you examples. Not that anybody cares about double standards anymore. I'm not naive. I know this. Nobody's innocent in politics. Nobody. But the contemporary left's utter and growing disdain for any semblance of limiting principles, the kind of abuse that helped Trump win the presidency in the first place. Remember way back then? You know he won. He beat Hillary, in case you forgot. It all continues to profound damage over and over again to our system. By the way, in case you didn't know it, Trump's an easy target. The next target, I assure you, is going to be a Republican who's even worse than Trump. And worse than Trump, I put in quotation marks. Doesn't matter if the person's actually worse than Trump. It's all that matters is the substance that the left decide to use to determine who anybody is. And the justifications for throwing out norms to stop them are going to be exactly the same. Conservatives, listen to me. If you're one of those who contend that Democrats won't like where the Trump arraignment leads or probably engaged in some wish casting right now, listen to me. If you're one of those Democrats, those who hold the upper hand in our major institutions aren't too worried about short-term threats of retribution. And anyway, progressives love Calvin Ball. You ever heard of that? That's a system of constantly shifting norms that rewards those most willing to use their power for whatever they deem it's qualified to be used on. Maybe a a law, maybe a political appointment, nomination, or it could be a former president of the United States. Evil has no R or D behind its name. It exists in a vacuum, and it tries to suck Everybody who's willing to just slide into that vacuum with it, and then it will help you demean anybody who dares disagree with you. Oh, of course, that's only if you're a Democrat and a conservative, maybe even one of those evil GOP MAGA folks. Evil doesn't like us conservatives, you get it. So I'm going to catch my breath. And we are just getting started. Don't go away. And if you're wondering what this all is 
make it with you I really think that we could make it Time will tell If you believe the things that I do And we'll see it through Life can be short or long Love can be right or wrong And if I chose the one I'd not the case for you. And I hope those of you that watched last night, yesterday, all of it rolled in together, you're okay today. Listen, don't dive off into the deep, deep ocean of fear that everybody's on the conservative side, especially. Everybody is thinking about diving into. It will drown you. I'm serious. You don't want to go down that road because there's no good ending in that. Everybody, every conservative wants vindication. I don't care if you're a Trump supporter or not. That's not the litmus test. The litmus test is this. Do you want the rule of law to be enforced in every criminal case in the nation? Secondly, Do you want everybody treated equally, every American citizen treated equally under the law? If you answer yes to those, stop right there. Don't even start piling anything on, because what you're going to do is you're going to want to add the word, but, yeah, I believe in the rule of law, but I do think everybody should be treated equally under the law, but as long as you're allowing for exceptions on either side of that that particular tandem, you're going to lose your mind 
It won't matter if it's a Democrat administration or a Republican administration. The pendulum swings both ways. What's that old song, British group? Pendulum swings like a pendulum do. Bobby's on bicycles two by two. I can't imagine that thought even coming into my head. Well, well, well. Oh, by the way, speaking about above the law, that thing, you know, we opened the show with today. You know, Alvin Bragg, that uh, self-anointed judicial powerhouse district attorney in Manhattan, Alvin Bragg. I don't know if you picked up on this yesterday, but he wants the Trump trial to begin already. Here we are. I mean, we're in early 2023. He wants it to begin in January of 24, not early 24, not mid 24, January of 24. Uh, What's happening in January of 2024? Republican primaries. This is all about keeping Donald Trump out of the White House. And oh, by the way, Alvin Bragg, as we all know, I've explained to you over and over again, he's one of George Soros' love children. George Soros, he passes out campaign dollars to his love children around the nation. Guess what happened? Though Uncle George or Daddy George gave Alvin Bragg a million dollars to run for DA in Manhattan, George Soros has pushed Alvin Bragg away, refuses to even communicate with him or even acknowledge they ever had a relationship. I don't know about you, but if I was a Democrat right now, go ask Joe Manchin how bowing at the altar of uh, authoritarianism and the Democrat Party being in power, ask him how he feels about it when the President of the United States and his buddy Chuck Schumer lied through their teeth when they promised him if he would cast the deciding vote for that, whichever one it is, that trillion, two trillion, whatever one of those big spending bills Joe Biden needed to pass, Manchin had the deciding vote, and they promised him they're going to give him a bunch of energy opportunity, new energy opportunity in his state of West Virginia. And not even two days after this bill was passed on his vote, Manchin's vote, they laughed at him and said, you believe what we promised? Go figure. We're not going down that road. We, in part, were elected to kill the fossil fuel industry and Senator Manchin, that includes coal in your state, West Virginia. What's that old story about the rattlesnake and the rock climber? Rattlesnake talked the climber into wrapping him around his neck to help him getting to the top so he wouldn't die of starvation. Almost to the top, Rattlesnake bit the rock climber, and as they were falling to their death, the rock climber said, you promised you wouldn't bite me. Snake said, you knew I was a snake when you picked me up. Liar's going to lie. Cheater's going to (laughs) cheat. Democrats are going to be Democrats, and oh, by the way, so are Republicans going to be Republicans. 
so Bragg, he got his wish in pretty much every way. A few things we're going to mention about the case. We're not going to spend the whole show today. In fact, we'll be through with most of the yesterday events here in just a few minutes. But something I want to do, I like to weigh, I have my opinions about things. I'm not so stupid or hard-headed that I think mine are the only ones that matter, nor do I ever think mine's or, mine are always right, and I respect people that differ with me. So I like to give you, on any big thing that we're discussing, other people's opinions, which could include yours if you want to weigh in. Toll free, 1-866-37-TRUTH. 1-866-378-7884. So how about a couple of um, couple of people that you don't see on these panels much? You do you see one of these people, Miranda Devine, New York Post, great writer. She's from Great Britain, got a good accent. Bobby Saccone, last night they weighed in on the things that they saw coming out of Alvin Bragg's action yesterday with this indictment. Bobby Chacon and New York Post columnist Miranda Devine, thank you so much, each of you, for joining us tonight. Uh, Bobby, first to you, your legal read, both of you have read the indictment. What's your reaction on the indictment? Well, I was really shocked at how thin it was. I mean, I, I, I saw a lot of things that I would expect to see, but then I expected so much more depth I expected the crime that was alleged to be covered up to be mentioned and described in detail. I mean, this this is so light on on on, it doesn't even actually uh, charge a crime if you look at it, because if they leave out the the crime that he's supposedly covering up with these false business records, then there's no crime. You have to specify that. I don't care if New York state law doesn't say you have to. I mean, that's a Supreme Court challenge on the federal level. And and that statute will be considered too vague um, to be to be valid. So I think that I I read it. And what shocked me was the 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 lack of substance. What to what Bobby just said, what did you think, Miranda, when you read it? Oh, look, I completely agree. And I think that, uh, you know, people were expecting there was going to be some big surprise uh, and there wasn't. Um, it's as flimsy as everybody suspected but couldn't quite believe. Uh, it just, to me, shows that the Democrats are reckless and ruthless and utterly unscrupulous. Uh, They will stop at nothing to destroy Donald Trump. They have been trying from the minute that he showed his face in politics and they will continue. And uh, I think it's a huge tragedy that uh, Alvin Bragg has allowed his office uh, and the state of New York, the city of Manhattan, to be used in this way. I, I, I just can't see it surviving, as a lot of lawyers have said. Yeah. Um, uh, but I think, you know, in a week when Hunter Biden is down in Soho yucking it up, selling his paintings for a reported $500,000 each to buyers unknown, um, it just shows what the two-tiered justice system that we're existing under. You know, the other, so, Bobby, when we're looking at this, the closest they come to the second federal criminal uh, campaign violation. It's on page 619. It says that Michael Cohen says that Trump said they could delay the payment to Stormy Daniels until after the election and maybe avoid paying it altogether because at that point, after he won, it wouldn't matter because he would have won the election, basically. I mean, so that's the most they have in the way of intent. 
But again, there's, this is Michael Cohen's word for it. He's a convicted perjurer. So, Bobby, there, when you see the reasonable doubt coming into this case and, you know, motions to dismiss likely coming from the former president's side, when you see this case being brought, do you fear that what more and more prosecutors and lawmakers are also warning about, that this sets a very dangerous precedent for our democracy where the courts are being used as a political weapon? It's undermining the confidence oh, of no. the American people in, in the legal system. There's no doubt that that's what's being happened. I mean, Alvin Bragg's a pro progressive Democrat who ran on the platform of going after Donald Trump. That was a campaign promise. I mean, he, he made it, he made his office political even before he was elected. He told the people, I will make this a political prosecution. And remember, previously, Bragg was in the New York State Attorney General's office going after Trump on other things in the Trump organization. So I, I don't, I'm not surprised at this at all. And I think you're right. I think this is the new political landscape. I think this schedule of hearings set so far in the future now we're going to be into the, the next campaign, the next presidential campaign, by next year when these things are all playing out, these hearings are all playing out in court. Again, so I think this is, I, I think you'll have other progressive DAs throughout the country uh, leveling charges against Trump. I think this is the new political landscape. So Byron York's Miranda says that, you know, basically DA, uh, DA uh, Bragg is following through on his campaign promise to, quote, get Trump. But when you look at the case, again, we've talked to people who, who prosecutors and lawyers who are no fans of Trump. And they, again, you take out the words Trump, you look at the facts of the case. I mean, we understand other networks are running with it, like, yeah, this is the get Trump moment. But we don't see this case being brought through to a federal criminal violations of campaign law. That's where it hangs on. That was the intent to defraud. And it's not proven out in the 30, unless he's got the documents, unless it's a he said, he said. And by the way, uh, Miranda, you and I have talked about this. Robert Costello, Michael Cohen's former legal advisor, said that he gave 321 emails that were exculpatory in favor of Donald Trump. They only took six of them. 315 were knocked out. On that basis alone, this could all be tossed. Well, I mean, on so many bases, this could be tossed. Uh, you know, what is the felony? They haven't spelled that out. Um, as you say, Michael Cohen, convicted perjurer, he's the star witness. Uh, it, it really is a travesty. I mean, it's an embarrassment uh, for the United States on the world stage. You know, the, down at the courthouse, there were uh, enormous numbers of media from every country in the world that has a media. Uh, I know this is playing huge in Australia and everywhere else. It's really damaging. It's giving the wrong impression. It is a joke of a prosecution. But we're seeing that this is going to be marching on into the election season. Uh, they're talking about a trial in January, in the middle of the, uh, you know, the, the, the primary season. Um, and, and then there are other cases that are coming forward. So you're just going to see a rolling yeah. thunder approach of just bringing Trump down. And you saw from his demeanour in his face today, he's resolute. Uh, he's, he's toughed it out before. He'll tough it out again. Yeah, he's but got this the has classified, to be taking a toll, not least... Yeah, he's got the yeah. classified documents and the Georgia election interference case, too. So Miranda, yeah. what Miranda just said, Bobby, you know, former Attorney General William Barr and Andy McCarthy has said this could open a Pandora's box of political indictments against other elected officials, as well as their family members. So, you know, the using the courts to settle political scores, that's what's really dangerous. And in, in the, the other debate, too, is local DAs should not have the power to indict precedents unless they've got an airtight case and not just strung out on novel legal theories. Well, and not just past president, somebody running for president currently. 
I, I think that's the danger here is that it, there's a public interest in all of this. And um, one one of the public interests is just having transparency. So but but there's another public interest. And, and, and it's the one you noted that we can't have local prosecutors all over the country going after national uh, uh, candidates for president just because they're in the opposite party. Bragg made it clear he was. Bragg ran on that. And so that's the that's the frightening part about this is this is not a murder case. This yeah. is not this is a somebody paying off somebody which is not illegal to keep quiet about an affair. Again, not illegal. And so this is a, a prosecution that's yeah, very I mean, flimsy, very thin. And the only time prosecutions like this should be brought when there's a serious crime and there's serious evidence of that crime. It's just in the, so he says it's to conceal criminal conduct to hide damaging information from the voters during the during the 2016 election. But again, in, in each of the 34 counts, he doesn't spell out what the second actual crime was and what the proof was that that was the intent, right? So they don't have, it doesn't sound like they have the documentary proof just yet, we haven't seen it yet, for that second federal uh, uh, felony. You don't have to be right if you're left. That Hey, I ought, I ought to maybe copyright that. You don't have to be right if you're left. You know exactly what I mean when I say that. If you're a leftist, you don't have to be justified. What you think, what you say, what you do really doesn't matter. I mean, after all, you're in the endowed part of the political process in the United States of America. You're a left-leaner thinker. So it's okay. Whatever you do, it's okay. Before I, I, I want to I tell you something else that's going on around this whole thing happening in New York that's not happening in New York. But before I do, there was something that I caught yesterday when I watched in the courtroom after the fact. We saw still pictures from inside the courtroom. That's very, very unusual, except maybe in state court. Tucker Carlson picked up on that last night. Harmeet Dillon is obviously a famous civil rights attorney. She's highly familiar with this case. And we have to ask, why did a judge allow cameras into the court to take pictures of Trump? Normally you see sketches. That seemed like part of a strategy, a political strategy, not a legal one. Harmeet Dillon, thank you for coming on. What did you make of that? Well, I agree with you, Tucker. I mean, if the Democratic Party is using this prosecution, which I believe they are, to influence the outcome of the next election, uh, this photograph is going to be a prop in those campaign ads. And it all seems to be, you know, really well targeted towards that. I would even say that the judge not putting a gag order on both sides in this case is the same, because by by, t by scolding the defendant and saying, you better stay away from an imaginary line that I'm not going to draw for you, he's effectively chilling his speech while at the same time not putting any right. constraints whatsoever on the district attorney who could go out and, in fact, uh, completely ignore his, his, uh, his oath to do justice and prejudge that the defendant is already guilty. He said that multiple times in his remarks while winking and at the same time admitting that he didn't even have to articulate what the charges are. So this entire proceeding seems to be clearly rigged uh, in a political manner. And 
Somewhere along the way, Tucker, Americans may have not noticed that the Democratic Party has basically turned into a gang of thugs. There is no concept of due process. There is no concept of even, uh, with a straight face, attempting to tie the charges to something that you can prove in front of a court of law that could stand up on appeal. And so if there were ever any more evidence than, than we already suspected, I think the way that today's proceedings went really underscores the political nature of this. And if I were to make a comment about the president's remarks today, I would say that what was missing from that is pointing out that this indictment is really aimed at the American people. It's aimed at President Trump supporters. It's aimed at terrorizing people away from supporting a particular candidate. And it is meant to remind all of us that if they can do this to a former president, they can concoct false charges without even articulating what the charges are against any American for political reasons. And that is a form of emotional terrorism, Tucker. It should really be terrifying to all Americans that this is the yeah. current state of the law in New York City. He should say that in every public appearance going forward. I agree with that. Hermit Dillon, thank you so much. I don't think it's exclusive to New York City, do you? Here's the thing, folks. There is no act of contrition that have been done or will be done by anybody on the left for going after their political foes, including going after with their foes with illegitimate, illegal, and untruthful weapons. They're endowed. They have that right. We're the left. We can do whatever we want to do. They are willing to break the law to honor the law. Think about that. It's okay to break the law if you're going to honor the law. We right now today are back to the destroying the village to save the village mentality. And while this circus is going on in Manhattan, here's what I want to point out to you. It pales in comparison to the other Trump investigations from his alleged 2020 election interference. Don't forget about the big one, one that I think and many experts think has more teeth in it than any of the other ones, the Georgia Grand Jury. They're looking into alleged Trump election interference. Could be more compromised than is Manhattan's, given that the prosecuting attorney's office reportedly had ice cream parties with its members. Yes, that's been alleged by the forewoman of the shambolic investigative body, Emily Kors, who decided to spill everything on network news in February. You may have forgotten about this. Even liberal host and legal analyst penned op-eds pointing to Kors' recklessness when she offered these interviews to some of the most liberal anti-Trump outlets in the county which could torch the entire grand jury probe's credibility. It probably already has, but you know that. When Trump is down, he always seems to clinch a win, even if they're only symbolic this time. The left says Trump must go to protect America's institution and the rule of law, but leak sensitive information to the press about ongoing legal investigations. You remember? Leaking information about a grand jury. If you leak it in any way, shape, form, or fashion, all grand jury proceedings are locked down unless given specific permission by the court. 
you knew and I knew before this arraignment happened yesterday that Trump was going to be charged with 34 trumped-up misdemeanors to criminal, to felony. How did we know about that? Somebody leaked it. And that is a felony. Leaking is a felony. So let's just finish this conversation by my pointing one little tidbit or nugget out to you. The judge, Mershon, multiple donor to various Democrat causes, state, local, and national. And if you have any problem with Donald Trump bringing up the fact that this judge is biased against him, this judge is the judge that sentenced a longtime employee of the Trump organization. This guy was 70, 80 years old, sentencing him to prison for wrongdoing. And it's still questionable if that was really wrongdoing by people in the Trump organization, not even the president, but people in the Trump organization. He let the pictures be taken inside the court, wasn't supposed to, 34 count indictment leaked to the press. It's okay with this, with this judge. It's all okay in the name of decency and righteousness because a Democrat judge is in charge. Everybody else, shut up. Have you ever wanted to learn a new language like French, Spanish, or Russian, but thought it would be too difficult and time-consuming? Then go to Babbel.com and try it for free. Babbel works because it's built around real life. It teaches you everyday practical conversations that you will actually use. In 15 minutes a day, you'll be on your way to speaking a new language in just a few weeks. Babbel uses a modern conversation-based technique that makes language engaging, fun, and memorable. It starts by teaching you words and phrases. Then, sentences gradually get more complex. Soon, you're practicing short conversations about real-life topics. Babbel is created by language experts who use the space repetition method to help you learn quickly and remember what you learned. With Babbel, you can speak a new language. Babbel, language for life. Celebrating 10 million subscriptions sold. Now try Babbel for free at Babbel.com. Just go to Babbel.com and start learning a new language today. That's Babbel.com. B-A-B-B-E-L.com. Meet Phil Sklar, co-founder of the National Bobblehead Hall of Fame and Museum. Our dream is to make Milwaukee, Wisconsin the bobblehead capital of the world. At American Family Insurance, we believe your dreams are the most valuable things you will ever own. So today, we're supporting Phil's dream. If people would like to be a part of the bobblehead dream, we take donations in money or bobbleheads. Every dream deserves a champion. Find yours at AmFam.com. American Family Insurance. American Family Mutual Insurance Company and its affiliates. 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin, 53783. With Ford Pass, rewards are just a tap away. Whether it's using rewards points toward things like complimentary maintenance or for vehicle accessories. And with Ford Pass, a tap can also get you 24-7 roadside assistance and lock your vehicle. Only Ford Pass puts all this in the palm of your hand. 
Ford Pass, built to keep you moving. Truth, justice, the American way. The Truth News Network. Once again, here's Dan Newman. You want to hear something funny happening in all of this? Really, really funny. Stormy Daniels' name keeps coming up. I don't know if you know this or not. I forget her real name. Stormy, obviously, is her porn star name, but she's a Louisiana native, and she is infamous not just because she is an attractive woman that uh, allowed herself to be used in the pornography business, but she ran for the United States Citizen Senate, excuse me, United States Senate here in the state of Louisiana. And she ran against <laughs> Senator John Kennedy. Can you imagine what fun we had <laughs> in Louisiana with that? And uh, if I ever get the chance, I'm going to, if I get with Senator Kennedy and I get some kind of lighthearted atmosphere for the conversation, I got to talk to him about that. He's he's the guy that beat Stormy Daniels. Well, now we find out Donald Trump did too. Now, wait a minute. I'm not talking about any impropriety. As a matter of fact, with all the hoo-ha about her getting back at Donald Trump because of what he did to her, she wrote a very elaborate and very pointed letter in which she said, she made the statement point blank. I never had sex with Donald Trump. Never. So why would he pay her hush money? I think the answer is obvious. I mean, a famous person, especially somebody running for president, that does have a speckled past like Donald Trump has had, and he's filthy rich, there's a target she actually acknowledged that that payment that came to her that Michael Cohen paid, and she confirmed Trump didn't pay any of it. Michael Cohen paid it. It was hush money. She saw a way to make a buck off Donald Trump. Now, the reason I'm bringing this up at the end of all of this uh, crazy arraignment and indictment of Donald Trump is this. You may not have known this. She sued Trump because he just blasted her publicly. You remember all that going on? He defamed her, and she filed a massive defamation suit. Well, she lost the suit. You may have heard that. What you didn't hear was that the suit was a judgment with $600,000. The court yesterday the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals in California, the most liberal appeals court in the nation, confirmed she has to pay Donald Trump $122,000 for his legal expenses over that failed defamation suit. Just thought I'd throw that in there. (laughs) Sometimes it's okay to chuckle. You know, what's that old saying? Payback's hell. (laughs) quid pro quo if you want something you got to give something one other thing I just wanted to mention you heard somewhere in one of the audio bites we played that Hunter Biden is down in Soho 
and he's at an art gallery there selling his very famous paintings in some cases for as much as half a million dollars and nobody knows who they're being sold to and I think if and when we find out in the future we're going to find out that's part of the Biden family syndicate's quid pro quo process you get something well by jingos you got to give me something for me giving it to you but just this little footnote on Soho I like Manhattan. Soho's down on the southeast side of, of uh, the city, and it's a garment district uh, on the edge of the diamond district. Lots of high dollar, and these, when I say garment district, I'm talking about these designer stores. One year for my birthday, our two daughters and my wife, they took me to New York. What they did was... They took me to New York, supposedly for my birthday, but they took me for my credit card. Long story, I won't get there, but one thing we did, I don't think either of our daughters had been down in Soho. Marianne took them down there. And the way the the whole street, the main street, I forget which one it is, I don't think it's Fifth Avenue, but anyway, it's one of the big streets. All of the buildings have these fire fittings, for if there's a if there's a fire in the building, fire trucks pull up and they just put connect their big hose from the fire truck into this fitting that comes out of the brick wall. Every one of these buildings have one of those. And these stores, you know, the steps go right up beside the fitting. I would go sit on straddle the top of that fitting sticking out the wall, and it was a perfect height for me to just sit there and watch people. And people that walk up and down the street in a normal day in Soho are pretty um, eclectic. And I think you probably know what I'm talking about. Some beautiful men and women, very good-looking people, lots of jewelry, lots of makeup. I'll never forget this. At that time, I was wearing a, a Rolex watch that I don't have anymore. Um, and I was sitting there. And three little African-American guys, probably 10, 11, 12 years old, ran up to me with one of the Rolex Blue boxes. Now, if you know anything about Rolex Blue boxes, that's a Rolex president. Right now, that's about a $60,000 solid gold watch. Now, these three guys, they saw my Rolex and they said, Hey, mister, you want to buy another Rolex? They pulled it open. And I, yeah, I, I'm not a... A jeweler, but I can tell you it looked legitimate. And so I looked at those guys and I said, look, I'm not going to buy the watch from you. First of all, you need to understand something. Every Rolex that's sold has got a serial number. And when whoever owns it takes it to get it clean, the first thing the jeweler does before they clean it is they call Rolex and look up the serial number and make sure it's not stolen. So Whoever buys that from y'all is going to get in big-time trouble when that first cleaning happens. And then number two, who's going to give you the money that this watch is worth? They had no idea how much the watch was worth. And I gave you that little story to let you kind of understand what the atmosphere is down in Soho, where Hunter's over there 
making big money. He doesn't have to buy and sell crack cocaine anymore. He's plugged into the Biden family syndicate and milking it for everything he can get. And don't think that we've seen the end of this story. The Biden family syndicate story is going to go on and on and on. Meanwhile, back in Washington, D.C., business, House Republicans announced they're investigating the potential misuse of coronavirus pandemic education funds around the nation. And they're requesting documents from the Department of Education regarding its guidance. And they're the ones, apparently, the Department of Education are the ones that pushed out this coronavirus money around the nation to the schools and the school districts that really needed it during our pandemic. Don't forget, don't forget that last week on this show, I shared with you that the Los Angeles Public School District. Now, you know how big L.A. is. That public school district, if it's not the largest in this nation, it's one of the largest. The Department of Education gave them $6 billion to take care of their school buildings infrastructure. You know, don't you know, they spent all that money. You know, air conditioning, great ventilation, The teachers' unions, they were screaming and hollering. Los Angeles County Schools, they have no good ventilation. These kids are going to be sitting in desks, and they're going to be breathing in every bit of air breathed out by some diseased kid that sits around them. We've got to retrofit, retrofit these schools with good ventilation, good air conditioning. We've got to change out the windows. $6 billion. What do you think? the superintendent of education in Los Angeles County thinks now that the House Republicans announced yesterday they're on the ball. They're going to find out where every one of those Los Angeles County public school department, every one of those dollars went. Investigations being led by you-know-who. Committee on Oversight and Accountability Chairman James Comer, Republican from Kentucky, Also, by the way, from the Committee on Education and the Workforce, the chairwoman of that committee, Virginia Fox, and select subcommittee on the coronavirus crisis, Chairman Brad Winstrup, Republican from Ohio. These three believe some of the billions of dollars in emergency COVID education funding was used to support, quote, left-wing agendas and not address COVID-related issues like learning loss during the pandemic. They sent a letter to Education Secretary Miguel Cardona yesterday calling for all departments, communications, and policies guiding the department administration of COVID-19 education funds. In the letter, they they wrote all the gobbledygook. I won't read that to you, but um, this is a really big deal. What's going to be even bigger is the letter states that the Secretary of Education, Cardona, has until April 17th to produce all the documents that are requested. Now, this all happened after the select subcommittee on the coronavirus pandemic had a hearing titled, quote, The Consequences of School Closures, Intended and Unintended, 
in which lawmakers debated who was to blame for the prolonged school closures. This isn't the first time Republicans have asserted that the pandemic education funds were likely mishandled. Comer and Fox sent a letter to Cardona back in October when Republicans were in the minority in the House requesting documents related to the funding. And of course, Secretary, he didn't respond. And you're sitting there saying, no big deal, Dan. They're not going to hold anybody accountable for that. I don't know what kind of teeth the House committees have now, even though the House is in the majority control of the GOP. First time in a while. I don't know what they can do, but even if they find criminal wrongdoing, who's, who's going to determine whether or not to prosecute the wrongdoers? The Justice Department. Yeah, I can just see Miguel Cardona in a, um, in a meeting in the White House with all of the other secretaries, department heads, telling the president, Mr. President, we have a problem of that $6 billion taxpayers gave to Los Angeles County schools, they can only account for about a billion of it. We're in trouble. What do you want me to do? And Joe's going to say, you know what it feels like when you need to pee really, really bad? (laughs) Of course I'm paraphrasing. (laughs) And I'll just tell you, this is a long time ago, uh, (laughs) an NFL football player I had just met, famous quarterback, won't give you the name, playing with him in a golf tournament, and I was totally intimidated. Uh, We were playing in a scramble, and he was on my team. And I introduced myself, and he he knew who I was because for many years I had been in... uh, uh, an area university's radio crew, network crew. I was the uh, color commentator. And so he knew I was. And uh, he knew I intimidate. he intimidated me. So I think it was the second or third hole while we were waiting for one of our partners to putty, walked up to me and said, Hey, Dan, you know what it feels like when you need to pee really, really bad? And I said, yo, yeah, man, man, that's horrible. And he said, well, hey, would you feel of me and see if I need to pee really, really bad? (laughs) And the other guys, they knew what he was about to do. He set me up. And that broke the ice, and we laughed. (laughs) We laughed and laughed. And here I am years later laughing again. How in the world that came to my mind, talking about (laughs) President Biden sitting around a department (laughs) meeting in the White House next to the Oval Office. I have no idea, but you can see. I I guess in this particular story, I was like President Biden asking Cardova, the Secretary of Education, oh, yeah, yeah, hey, do you know what it feels like? (laughs) Will you forgive me for laughing? (laughs) Oh, come on now, that's funny. My wife will give me some grief if she's listening. She will get me big time. Some news out of the DHS. Hey, 
I thought because we hadn't been talking about it, they hadn't been giving us any stats, no committee testimony in the last few days, that the southern border is closed and locked down. Everybody can go to the house now. Well, the DHS, first of all, let me tell you, it's not locked down. They're not building the wall. They're not spending the money that was allocated by the government. And many of the people that are in this administration voted in that allocation of this money to build all those sections of the wall that are just laying down on the ground along the site on the southern border where they're supposed to be going up. They're just decaying, rusting. Billions of dollars. This administration is not doing anything down at the southern border, but waving all those who want to come in, just waving them in. But there's some other parts of the DHS, Homeland Security, where there is some stuff going on. An advisory panel, anytime you hear a Democrat talk about their advisory panel, what that means is it's somebody that got appointed to do something and has absolutely no power. Well, they, the Homeland Security, created an advisory panel to help the federal government cracking down on misinformation, pushed, this committee did, to, or excuse me, panel did, to enlist left-wing entities and individuals in its efforts. Now, this is documented. This is factual. The Cybersecurity Infrastructure and Security Agency, CISA, their advisory committees protecting critical infrastructure from misinformation and disinformation subcommittee. I, I can't believe we come up with these $10 labels for every paper or every committee or subcommittee. Well, this subcommittee in December of 2021 was convened to provide CISA with recommendations for how to address misinformation, disinformation, malinformation ahead of the 2022 midterm elections. However, internal meeting minutes, emails, and notes show that through a public records request, the committee members frequently pushed to enlist outside left-wing groups and individuals linked to Democrat causes to assist them. Subcommittee includes DHS officials, former Twitter chief legal officer Vijaya Gotti, University of Washington professor Kate Starbird, and former DHS official and Center of Strategic and International Studies advisor Suzanne Spaulding. You know them all well. Gotti was frequently criticized for censoring of conservatives on Twitter during her time at the platform, but she played a key role in Twitter censoring of the New York Post true story on business dealings by Joe Biden's son, Hunter, after the paper got a copy of the younger Hunter's, Hunter Biden's laptop. Starbird, meanwhile, has vocally pursued left-wing activism, urging her followers to vote for Democrats in a Facebook post that excoriated Republicans and, of course, Donald Trump the latter of whom she described as speaking with undertones of white supremacy and ethno-nationalism. There's one I hadn't heard of, ethno-nationalism. Does anybody listening know what that is? E-T-H-N-O-nationalism. Never heard the term. 
These members, along with others on their subcommittee, were tasked with guiding CISA on how to combat myths and disinformation perceived as threatening critical functions of democracy, including public health measures, the financial system, elections, and the court system. They're busted. I mean, listen, Adolf Hitler didn't do it any better than is this president and whoever the power junkies in this government are at surreptitiously going and finding people who will actually say, yes, we want to help you ratchet down and take away all the First Amendment rights for every American. And we want to be the ones in charge to get to determine what is misinformation, what is disinformation, and what is, by the way, ethno-nationalism. We want to have your permission to name names and be ugly when we do it. So while the DHS does not censor content itself, okay, they get a pass there. It advises its parents, its partners, including social media companies, on how to combat information they deem is threatening and flags examples of disinformation for these platforms. This is according to the agency's website and reporting from The Intercept. Tech companies also hold regular meetings with CISA and intelligence agencies on the topic of misinformation, according to The Intercept. Why are you giving us this story? I want you to hear. Yesterday, in Congress, Representative Kat Kamek, she had before her people that were being questioned about the weaponization of social media platforms by this administration, by people in government. That's what's going on. And she's got one of the biggest experts in front of her. She's going to, I think his name is Seligman. Seligman, I think it's S-E-L-I-G-M-A-N. And he is a constitutional expert in front of him. Listen to this in the context of what you just heard the DHS has been doing and is doing in this regard. Finding ways to destroy, oh, more proficiently than ever, your First Amendment rights. In your testimony, your written testimony, which was provided to us late last night, uh, it says that, quote, and this is your writing, no government official ever threatened any social media platform with adverse action if a platform declined to moderate content flagged by the official or if a platform decided not to take an official's suggestions. Do you stand by your testimony? Yes. Okay. Now, a few minutes ago, just prior, you said that members of the legislative branch don't qualify for this particular statement, despite the fact that you said no government official ever. Does a representative in Congress constitute a government official? Well, let me clarify uh, my testimony uh, from earlier. I don't think that legislative proposals that were brought by Republicans or Democrats constitute uh, threats against social media platforms. Uh, That's true whether with respect to Section 230 reform. It's true with respect to antitrust enforcement. So that would then lead us to the natural inclination to believe that you're talking about the executive branch, correct? 
uh, at being government officials. So government officials like the deputy assistant to the president and director of digital strategy like Robert Flattery or the White House senior advisor like Andrew Slavitt or the NSC staffer Katie Colas or the deputy assistant to the president or the White House digital director or the press secretary for the first lady or the NSC director for counterterrorism, the chief of staff for the Office of Digital Strategy, the director of strategic communication and engagement, the White House associate counsel, associate director for communications, the deputy director of digital strategy, and the strategic director of digital communications. Those are government officials, correct? Yes. yes. Okay. And what's so interesting is that all of these members of the executive branch, all of them, have communications, thousands of emails between them and Twitter and Meta officials where they demand that posts be taken down and censored. I'll give you a couple of, of examples, and then we'll see if you, you still feel so strongly about your words. January 23rd, three days after the inauguration, at 1.04 a.m., Clark Humphrey of the White House emails Twitter and says, we're flagging this post for you. Hey folks, wanted to flag this tweet, wondering if we can get moving on the process to have it taken down, dot, 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 ASAP. Then, on February 7th, an email exchange took place between Twitter and White House Deputy Assistant to the President and Director of Digital Strategy, Rob Flattery, and asked for the steps that he could take to, quote, streamline the process for the White House's demands for Twitter censorship. Then two days later, on February 9th, 2021, he follows up again with Facebook with a more aggressive demand for more information, along with an accusation that would be repeated many times in the future, that Facebook was failing to censor speech, uh, to censor speech on its platform, and it was causing, quote, political violence. Fast forward, you have March 15th, White House senior advisor then made an ominous statement threatening unspecified executive action against Facebook in retaliation for Facebook's perceived lack of cooperation with the White House's list of demands that have been documented and will be inserted into the record for this hearing on censorship of, quote, borderline content. The line that I think is particularly troubling is saying, Internally, we have been considering our options on what to do about it. Do you consider that to be non-threatening? I'm not familiar with the particular documents that you're referring to. I just um, read you multiple examples. Yes, and so I don't think that emphatic expressions of the concern, their concerns about the problem of misinformation is a threat. I don't. So when President Biden says that social media companies are killing people and then there is a direct line from the White House to the social media companies demanding posts be removed, going so far as to say there has to be a quick and devastating takedown, a published takedown, that is not a threat? I don't believe so. Wow. I also don't believe it wow. was a threat when President I, Trump I am, comments about uh, social media. I am so glad media we have this on the record. Um, again, my apologies to you, sir, for what you've had to endure here today. But with that, I yield back. You can tell he honestly believes the position that Representative Kamek nailed him down to reveal. They think it's okay. I mean, you heard the the uh, she cut she caught him. She, I mean, oh, that, I, that there's nobody in the government that's doing this. It may be bureaucrats, yada yada yada. And she gave him a laundry list of who had been forcing, putting pressure on 
social media companies to take down, in other words, to censor, in other words, to violate Americans' First Amendment rights, freedom of speech. Here's what you need to understand. It's okay if they do that. They have righteousness on their side. They don't think, as you heard him say, I don't think us doing that is putting pressure on social media. How in the heck would any realistic, reasonable person agree with his perception? First of all, I don't think he agrees with it. I think it was something that he got called out on. She busted him with facts. Go figure. Now, let me tell you what's coming up next. I got to be honest with you. I'm going to take a break here. It, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be really careful how we weigh into this next story simply because it is so vile and contentious and unbelievable to me. It will be for most of you, if not all of you yourself. But it has to do what happened up in Nashville where that former student at this school gunned down, killed three nine-year-olds and three adults. Don't go away. You've got to hear this. Making the convoluted rhetoric of politics understandable, digestible, actionable. TNN, the Truth News Network. Lowe's knows you're a craftsman guy. You have a lot of tools. Tools for everything you've done around the house. But there's the moment you realize your new project means new tools. When tool guys need new tools, they start with Lowe's. The new home of Craftsman. Our next Starbucks customer is Ron. Hello. Strictly espresso, in and out, except during the Christmas season. Uh, I have a list. When he turns into uh, Santa. A venti, iced white mocha, triple shot. He's getting stickers for the new Starbucks uh, Philippines uh, planner. Grande toffee nut latte. It's made by Moleskine? Wow, right? Venti, green tea, cream, frappuccino. Hey, uh, you got all the stickers. No, no, it's for my wife. I, I understand. The 2016 Starbucks Philippines planner by Moleskine. Promo runs November 2 to January 7, 2016. For DTI FTEB SBD permit number 10616, series of 2015. George Orwell said freedom is the right to tell someone what they don't want to hear. Today, that's called the truth. At truthnewsnet.org. Here's Dan Newman. I think we have numerous examples of just that. Just because you think something's right doesn't make it right. Just because you think something's truthful doesn't necessarily mean it's truthful. What it does mean is you better get your big boy, big girl, big whatever is the appropriate term to insert there, get your pants on, and just stand up and deal with facts. Deal with them. You don't have to believe anything that you don't want to believe. Believing something, believing somebody is a choice that we all make. I don't know about you, but I look at my review mirror and there's one or two times in my past, maybe even three, where I've made a bad choice. And there, when those choices are made by all of us, there are 
consequences that go along with those choices. Of course, unless you live in Manhattan and you happen to be a seasoned criminal and you happen to fall into the purview of D.A. Braggs, Alvin Braggs, you don't have to worry about pretty much anything because you're not going to you're not going to get locked up. You're not going to have to pay any bail. Usually, typically, in total disregard, total abandonment of those who crime is committed against. These criminals are going to walk, and many of them walk even before the people that are in the police or precinct filing the charges. They'll see them walk by on their way out. Of course, there is no liability. There is no rule of law or anything that forces people to do the right stuff. I told you, coming out of Nashville today, a guy named Micah Lauwagi, and I may be saying it wrong, L-O-U-W-A-G-I-E. He's the transgender pastor of St. Mark's Lutheran Church. But it's not in Nashville. He's talking about the event in Nashville. This church is in Fargo, North Dakota. He has compared the treatment of Audrey Hale, this trans shooter up in Nashville. He has compared Audrey Hale to the treatment of Jesus in his passion. The Jewish leaders were looking for any excuse, valid or not, to crucify Jesus, says the Reverend, in an April 2nd Sunday, Palm Sunday, in a sermon. And they needed to kill him, they being the Jews, in order to preserve their good image. After reading the biblical account of Jesus' crucifixion, Lauagi, a biological female married to a woman, drew an analogy to the mass shooting in Nashville. Quote, there are a significant number of people who have deemed that the fact that the Nashville shooter happened to be a trans person, so it's been reported, is just the excuse they need to call for the eradication of trans folks she declared. Rather than focusing on our serious gun violence problem or on the fact that six people are dead, they have decided they need to cause more harm. Micah, he, she, added. And I know Micah, biological male, identifies as a woman, so to be politically correct, she's a she. But He, she wasn't done. Some folks have tried to focus on eradicating trans people as a solution because they have been waiting, just waiting for an opportunity such as this. They've been waiting for a reason, any reason, to stoke their hatred. Micah went on to disparage supposed allies who abandon and betray transgender people just as Jesus' disciples abandoned him when he was arrested. In the sermon, marginalized folks, those of us with the least amount of privilege and power, the pastor said, they need those who have more privilege and power than they do to physically place their bodies between them and the people, powers, and institutions that are literally 
killing them. Lauigi also called out politicians who make laws against drag shows and transgender athletes, comparing them to the Pharisees' treatment of Jesus. Those leaders are looking for any excuse, valid or not, to crucify Jesus. And they found that reason, she said. It's baffling to me that someone's existence can be so threatening that people decide they need to be controlled, that they need laws made against them, or even worse, that the people that they find so threatening should die. Jesus did not die so violence could be perpetrated in God's name. Jesus did not die for access to guns. Now, do you want me to weigh in with my opinion on anything about anything that this pastor said? You may not want me to, but I'm going to. Anybody can trump up a belief in something as fact and arbitrarily spin it into whatever they want to spin it into. That's okay. This pastor, she's a Lutheran pastor in Fargo. Is it Fargo? Did I say Fargo? I don't think it, I don't think it is. I, this is going to bother me. Let me go back to the top. Yeah, Fargo, North Dakota. As long as the congregation there are okay with what she says or whoever wears the pastor's garb in that church, as long as they're okay with it, it's okay. But let me just let me just let me just go way 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 back in my life. I grew up in Lafayette, Louisiana, somewhere between my uh, eighth grade and ninth grade years in high school. My family moved while I was gone over a six-week period to a music conservatory. They moved from Lafayette to Franklin, Louisiana. It's 50 miles away. I didn't get to tell any of my friends that I'd grown up with from age four. Didn't get to tell them where I was going. Didn't get to tell them by. I knew nothing about Franklin, Louisiana, other than it was it was different. And I got to be honest with you, it, it, it shocked me to my toes. I could not believe that it happened. But all things work together for good that are called, who love God and are called according to his name. There's no question it was a God thing that I moved from Lafayette to Franklin. There were some, there were some things, really good lessons that I learned. There were some hurts that were there, and thankfully, many years ago, I was able to put those behind me. I made great relationships while I was there. Some that I maintain to this day. One of the people in my life that had the biggest impact on my life was a speech teacher at Franklin High School, where I went as a freshman, knowing nobody, and you can imagine in a new town knowing nobody in town, knowing nobody at the school and them not having any idea who I was. It's a small town, less than 10,000 people. We had one high school, well, two. One was a private Catholic school and the other was Franklin High School. Now we're talking about South Louisiana. And in Lafayette, which is a larger city, it's very well socially and ethnically divided. If you know anything about Cajuns, South Louisiana people, Cajuns, there's a lot of dis, uh, discrimination against people who are different in every 
type of living process and group. No question about it. But my moving from Lafayette, where there was a lot of diversity, but look, there are going to be people that think racially, no matter where you live, it happens in every country on the planet. That's part of human nature. I'm not justifying it in any way. I'm explaining that it does happen. I grew up in a blue-collar family. My father was in the construction business before he answered a call to go minister. And he, because he was pastoring small churches, he still had to work, and he stayed in construction. I interacted, therefore, with a lot of blue-collar people, Cajun people, black people, that worked with and for my dad and my friends. I played ball. I didn't know anything about integration and there being black schools and white schools. I didn't know about it. At that time in South Louisiana, in those two cities, they were not a big deal. In fact, in Franklin, there was no black school. Everybody went to school together. There was no white school. We all went to school together. I played football with African-American guys, played baseball, ran track, played basketball, never gave a thing about it. When, When I moved the summer after my junior year, when I moved from Franklin, Louisiana to Shreveport, Louisiana, which everybody thinks Louisiana is like New Orleans. It's not. Shreveport is 250 miles northwest of Franklin, Louisiana. Shreveport's more like northeast Texas than it is Louisiana. And this was in 1970. Remember those years? What was going on? Forced integration. Forced integration. Busing. Busing students, African-American communities, busing them from their neighborhoods to white schools, previously predominantly white schools, and vice versa. More so black kids to white schools because North Louisiana, (laughs) weren't many parents that were going to send their kids their white kids to a black school. In fact, many of the private schools across the South, and I'm embarrassed to say this, but it is a fact, private schools, white private schools, were created on the back of racism. That's a travesty on humanity. I don't want to get into that conversation, but it exists, and it existed. I did not know what racism was until I moved out of my little town where everybody just was everybody. And I moved up here where, uh, you you know, you live over here, you don't want to have anything to do with those people live over there, you go to school with these people, you don't want to have anything to do with these people at this other school. I mean, it, it it was thick. It was anger and it was hatred. I'm giving you that scenario to explain why I desperately disagree with what the pastor said but I understand the pastor's perspective. I do. We take our identities in large part from the way people treat us because of who those people perceive us to be. I got in more trouble through the end, the the very end of my high school 
and into college years because here's the way I felt about stuff around me. Hey, I don't look at your skin color and determine anything about you. You know, when I would go to class with people in college, my senior year in high school, you know, I would sit in a row. I didn't look around and see who was sitting around me to determine who I was going to sit or where I was going to sit. That thought never crossed my mind, but it happened all around me. I went to college, integrating with people, relating to people, befriending people. Fraternities and sororities, almost the same kind of thing. And I'm not anti-sororities or fraternities. I'm not. Both of our daughters were in a sorority. I was in a fraternity. I felt a thigh. That's a joke. (laughs) That's a joke. My point is that Throughout humanity, people have always been able to, when and if they were willing, to find ways to think and feel like and act like they're better than somebody that's different from them. Skin color, ethnicity, nation of origin, sexual identification, all of the above and a whole lot more. How in the heck any person let alone a pastor of any kind of church, could look at anyone else that's different from them in their political thinking, their sexual perception of themselves and others' thinking, and just take unilateral authority to brand somebody else for having their opinions. And this pastor created a scenario. I've not heard a single person person go nuts about this trans girl, boy, girl in Nashville because of the sexual perception that was there. All of the conversations that I have heard about what happened there, basically it was about having a semi-automatic rifle or two and another handgun. There's not a single gun on this planet that has ever killed anybody. Lots of people have been killed with guns, but somebody loaded the gun and somebody had to pull the trigger before there was any opportunity for death to occur. So basically what this pastor was doing in action, not words, but doing in action, was taking authority because of who he, she thinks she is and the role that they play way up in Fargo, North Dakota, looking down at deep south Tennessee and Nashville and just extrapolating what everybody that looked in and listened to and heard maybe didn't voice opinions. I'm sure there are people out there that totally hate trans people. I think that's atrocious. I do. Do I support transgenderism? I don't believe it's real. But I must be honest with you. Environment and circumstances determine a greater part of who we determine to be 
than most of us are willing to agree to. That's good and bad. That's about everything. I've always said this. If you take a dog when it's little, take a pig when it's little and you put them together, they'll both begin to act like each other just simply because of environment. One of them will begin to squeak or oink and the other one will begin to bark or try to. So where are you going with this story, Dan? The evil in this story was what this person allowed to take over her mind and her thought process, anger, hatred, and violence. This person is who was responsible for that shooting. That gun, those guns did not kill one of those six that died, the three kids or the three adults. That person did. And for this pastor to get in a pulpit in this church, a Lutheran church, get in that pulpit and point to other people and blaming other people and bringing Jesus Christ into the conversation and his disciples who did reject him. Every one of them, by the way, did a 180 at a future time. In fact, most of them did that 180 three days later. And every one of them died in brutal, horrible fashion. Every single one of them, of the 12, with the exception of, I think, one. Because of their beliefs. Just because you think something's real doesn't mean it's real. And if you choose to embrace it, there may be a price to pay for embracing it. Audrey Hale, the price that Audrey Hale paid for embracing hatred and anger was death. It was Audrey Hale's choice. And to try to spin all of this into a story about blaming others for what they see, feel, and think. Sadly, to, to me, that is just a representation of how tragic it is the way many people operate their lives. They don't want to operate them based upon what they grasp as being true, that they confirm and vet and make a decision to embrace. They have that right. So does everybody else. And before we um, we start using our thoughts and our opinions and expectations for others to rule the world, we need to understand, first of all, we live in the United States of America where everybody has the same right to pursue the same things with their life. And the federal government has no authority to step in and take that away from them. That would be an unconstitutional act. Other people, they may not have that right, but we don't always do the right things, do we? And sometimes when we choose to do the wrong things, sadly, other people pay a big price for our choices. You love chocolate. Mm, chocolate. You love M&M's. Oh, yes. 
but your tastes have grown up, and you're just not wild about super sweet milk chocolate, so you've been avoiding M&Ms. Yeah. Well, fear no more. Huh? M&Ms dark chocolate to the rescue. My heroes. M&Ms dark chocolate candies available wherever fine candies are sold. Hello. Hello, sir. I hear you having problems putting together your new kitchen unit. Oh yeah. Uh, the instructions say. The what now? The instruction manual. It makes absolutely. Stop reading that. Well, what would you suggest I use? I suggest you use the fact you're a man. Huh? Guys who got pride never relied on no guide, sucker. I'll give you some step-by-step instructions. <laughs> Buy Snickers, remove wrapper, bite chocolate, and get some nuts. Go to GetSomeNuts.tv for more Snickers man coaching. Uh-oh. Guess what day it is. Guess what day it is. Huh? Anybody? Julie, hey, guess what day it is. Oh, come on. I know you can hear me. Mike, 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 Mike. What day is it, Mike? <laughs> Leslie, guess what today is? It's hump day. Woo-hoo! Ronnie, how happy are folks who save hundreds of dollars switching to Geico? I'd say happier than a camel on Wednesday. Hump day! Get happy. Yeah! Get Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. I know I should quit smoking, but it's just... <sighs> My feet and hands are numb a lot. Walking to the bathroom gets me winded. <laughs> I cough all the time. Seriously? I've been dying to quit. Don't wait till you're dying to call. When your health is worse, it will be too late. 1-866-QUIT-YES. The Illinois Department of Public Health and the American Lung Association in Illinois. QuitYes.org. Oh, when this song came out, we all thought, my parents thought it was horrible. I just want to celebrate another day of living, Rare Earth. I think that's a medley of their one-time hit. I just want to celebrate. Hey, do you remember that mess that happened out at Stanford Law School, I guess a month, maybe two months ago? You remember, it was a federal judge. I think it was somebody from the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals down in New Orleans was out there to speak to this law school class. And it just went off. It just went off. We talked a little bit about it yesterday. Students went crazy, screaming at this judge, blasting him for eradicating or attempting to eradicate their First Amendment rights. He was offending them by what he was saying. They just shut him down. Well, the president of Stanford Law School is promising now to safeguard free speech after that embarrassing protest by that woke student mom joined by the school's dean of equity that stepped into the classroom supposedly to quieten the students down as this judge was speaking. And this equity dean joined in with the thought process of the students against the judge. Well, the president of Stanford Law School, Mark Tessier-Levine, previously published a public apology to Judge Kyle Duncan. Levine promised new initiatives to safeguard and strengthen campus freedom of speech. Judge Duncan is from the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. He was ambushed by the Associate Dean of Equity, Diversity, Inclusion, last name Steinbach, 
during a discussion back in early March. Steinbeck, a former ACLU lawyer who previously defended free speech, initially claimed that Judge Duncan had a right to express his views, but then she launched into a a very impassioned tirade, six minutes long, a speech which she had written down that condemned his life's work. So there's been all kinds of fallout that have come from this. And the reason this law school president, Tessier Levine, is responding is because federal judges around the nation immediately began to send letters to Stanford Law School to Tessier Levine stating, we will no longer consider law clerks that are coming out of Stanford University because obviously Stanford is bowing, no longer teaching criminal and civil law, but instead opting to do the woke thing, teach wokeism instead. Now, what does that mean in the context of secondary education? Let me tell you what it means. Stanford is a private university. Stanford is freaking expensive to go to. Stanford makes bazillions of dollars. I haven't looked to see what their endowment number is at, their foundation numbers, but they've got hundreds of millions of dollars. And they look at this, Tessier Levine looks at this as a shot across the bow that could cost Stanford University some of those bazillions of dollars because parents and students, by the way, they don't want to go there. They're promised, many of them, they know that if they go there, they're going to get, if they get to the end of their law school, they're going to be given the opportunity to fulfill very prestigious jobs in some of the highest courts in the land, federal and state, preferably federal. So why even bringing this up, Dan? Follow the money. (laughs) You've heard me say that so many times. Two things. The root of all evil is the love of money. That's number one. And number two, ever question anybody's reasoning for anything that you hear and it just doesn't sound right, follow the money. It's there. It's always there. Oh, by the way, some news out of Washington, D.C. Another day, another lie. Joe Biden's former assistant as vice president, Kathy Chung, testified yesterday to the House Oversight Committee about the mishandling of classified documents by the president since his time as vice president. We learned that as he left the White House, he took, quote, boxes that contained classified documents, vice presidential records, and other items, and had them stored in three separate locations throughout Washington, an office near the White House, an office in Chinatown, and eventually at the Penn Biden Center. After Chung's testimony yesterday, Representative James Comer, the head of that House Oversight Committee, put out the following statement. Today we learned that when Joe Biden left the vice presidency, boxes containing classified documents, 
vice presidential records, and other items were stored in three different locations around D.C., including an office near the White House, an office in Chinatown, and eventually the Penn Biden Center. At some point, the boxes containing classified materials were transported by personal vehicle to an office location. The boxes were not in a locked closet at the Penn Biden Center and remained accessible to Penn Biden employees as well as potentially others with access to the office space. We need to find out who had access to these documents. Additionally, it was reported November 2nd last year, Biden's personal attorney came across Obama-Biden administration documents in a locked closet while packing files as they prepare to close out Biden's office in the Penn Biden Center. That date was also not accurate, according to the statement released by Representative Comer. According to the statement, based on Chung's testimony, this date was also inaccurate. Quote, we also learned that then-White House counsel Dana Remus tasked Kathy Chung with retrieving these boxes from the Penn Biden Center as early as May of 2022. The story does not begin in November of 2022, as represented by Biden, uh, Biden's attorney. Biden's attorneys reportedly notified National Archives November of 2022 after the documents had been discovered while packing files. In reality, according to the statement, the documents were found as early as May of 2022, at least two months prior to the raid on Trump's Mar-a-Lago residence. They never talk about any of this. Nobody hears about any of this. It's always after the fact, and then only after the fact, if somebody on the other side has the chutzpah to come forward and looking. They will never admit any wrongdoing on their own. Now, this admission, the one we just told you about, would call into question the timing of the Mar-a-Lago raid that Biden was allegedly unaware of. Much like the impeachment over a quid pro quo phone call between Trump and Volodymyr Zelensky, despite Biden previously being recorded admitting to such a proposition, this now seems like the raid on Mar-a-Lago was likely a precursor to the inevitable investigation into Biden's mishandling of classified documents. It's kind of like, oh my gosh, we did what? We did all that and somebody drove in a car with, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? Let's hide it. Let's hide it. And you know the National Archives, they've been down to Mar-a-Lago a couple of times working with Trump to get the documents back that they need to get back. And they've agreed to some things, but they're still struggling with something. Why don't we make his mishandling a big deal? It's kind of like, hey, don't look at what I'm holding behind my back. Look up here at my right hand. I'm screaming and hollering about Trump, 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 Trump. When I did the same things, but worse, I handle all of this on my own. Trump worked with the National Archives from the very beginning. They know everything that's there. And oh, by the way, it was already being held in one locked closet 
and they simply asked the Trump folks if they could better secure that one closet, get a bigger, better lock. That was what they found wrong. And they created this entire uproar to try to cover up for Biden. This new discovery also calls into question any political strategy that may have been considered by Biden and his attorneys to withhold any of this information until just after the 2022 midterm elections where the raid on Mar-a-Lago was an influential talking point amongst Democrat candidates. Got to put weapons in your quiver. You got to have stuff to denigrate the other people. It's not good enough to just tell everybody what you're going to do and how good it is. You got to put the other guy down. And the final story for today. So following this school shooting in Nashville, according to Representative Eric Swalwell, Democrat from California, any Republican who opposes banning particular types of firearms is siding with the killers. Now, Swalwell, and a habitual liar, is a member of the House Homeland Security Committee. He made these comments yesterday during an appearance on MSNBC. He said that we could protect children from what's killing the most if there were more Republican allies. Swalwell then addressed Republicans directly, accusing them of negligence in protecting children, saying they can either side with the kids and protect them, or we're going to say that you're siding with the killers. He brought up some safety precautions and all this other kind of stuff. It's, it's, it's really sad to me to watch and listen to all these Democrats. I mean, yesterday, Alvin Bragg got up and pontificating, talking about the glorification of anything that he did in regards to Trump and any of his prosecution, or I should say persecution, justifying, making everything seem to be good and fair. If you're a Democrat, if you're a leftist, but nothing can be good that any conservative does. And so what do you do on the left? Your go-to position is, hey, they're bad. They're evil. Why do you say that? Because they're not Democrats. Ho, ho, ho. If they had D after their name, they'd be all right, but they don't. So that means they've got to be merchants of Satan. They don't want to talk about, Swalwell refuses to talk about the Second Amendment, how many times it's been challenged by people like him trying to take firearms out of the hands of people. Here's the problem, folks. It's not just one, two, or three things. By the way, let me just say this. All these people that you're hearing about, the number one killer of children in America is guns. It's not. It's not. Now, wait a minute, Dan. We get the stats from the CDC. Well, do that. Go to the CDC website. Go there and look up the stats for gun deaths, gun violence, and look at the demographics. Guess what you'll see? When you break it down by the age groups that the left and the CDC put all of their gun shooting and deaths by, you'll see something that nobody wants to talk about. Tell me, in your state, 
What age group? When does childhood end? 17. Most states. It is here in Louisiana. CDC, they arbitrarily decided in their numbers to move that number up just a little bit. Three years. They include all deaths by guns through age 20. Now, the obvious question you're asking right now, well, how is this going to change things? If you take out ages 18, 19, and 20 from your stats, guess what you come up with? Guns are far from the number one killer of children in America. Car wrecks are number one. But that doesn't sell in politics. We've got to just embellish or just lie about it because we want people to think we have all the answers. Thank you for sharing your Wednesday morning with us. We appreciate every minute you spend here. If we can be of service to you in any way, let me know. Dan at truthnewsnet.org. Dan at truthnewsnet.org. See you tomorrow morning. Gotcha. See you licking frosted from your own head.